Chapter 14 Reva removed her earring and pressed the phone receiver to her ear. Hello? she asked breathlessly. Reva? Hi, it's me, Pam. You busy? Well, kind of, Reva replied, glancing toward the hallway. She was standing beside the desk in her father's study. Outside the window, the night sky was a deep purple scarlet. It's going to snow, Reva thought. She shivered. The study was cold. She was eager to get back to the warm fire in the living room. I'm really upset, Pam said, her voice thin and shaky on the other end of the line. Pam sneezed. Sorry. She's probably up in that drafty little bedroom of hers, Reva thought, shaking her head. Her house is such a dreary place. What's wrong? she asked, trying to sound interested. It's Victor. He broke off our date for tonight, Pam told her. He said he had to stay home and watch his brother. Oh, wow! I've heard that excuse before, Reva said sarcastically. I called his house a few minutes ago, Pam continued, ignoring her cousin's remark. And he wasn't there. His brother said he went out. Out on a date? Reva cried. With who? I, I don't know what to think, Pam stammered. I really don't. You've got to look out for those good-looking ones, Reva said cruelly. Huh? What do you mean? Pam demanded. The way he checked me out when we met the other day? I could tell you a few things about your friend Victor. Reva smiled to herself, enjoying her little game, deliberately toying with Pam, knowing that she was giving her cousin more to worry about. Why do I enjoy teasing Pam so much? Reva asked herself. Is it because she's such a perfect victim? The way he checked you out, Pam cried shrilly. What are you saying, Reva? Are you saying that? Reva giggled. No, I'm just saying watch out for him, Pam. Those dark eyes of his. What do you know about Victor's eyes? Pam demanded suspiciously. Reva giggled. I know all kinds of things, she replied. Reva, are you, I mean, did you, I mean, Pam sputtered. Reva's smile grew wider, torturing Pam was so easy and so satisfying. Reva, if I seriously thought you went out with Victor, I'd die. I really would, Pam cried, her voice trembling with emotion. Calm down, Pam. You're getting crazy. I'm sure everything will work out, Reva replied. You don't have to start accusing people. He only broke two dates. Two dates? Pam said thoughtfully. How did you know that? How did you know he broke two? Listen, Reva, if you know something about Victor, if there's something you're not telling me... I'm sorry, Pam, I've got to run. Call you later, okay? Reva replaced the receiver, a smile on her face, her eyes flashing. Then, eager to get back to the warmth of the fire, she hurried to the living room, brushing back her coppery hair as she walked. As she entered the room, the firelight sending flickering shadows over the walls, Victor glanced up from the couch. Who was that? he asked, motioning for her to return to her place beside him. Just a friend, Reva replied. A few seconds later, she was back on the couch, wrapped in Victor's arms, kissing him, kissing him again and again, so cozy and warm before the golden fire. Pam would kill me if she ever found out, Victor muttered. The old sayings are the best, Reva whispered into his ear. What she doesn't know won't hurt her. She wrapped her hands around his neck and pulled his handsome face to hers. Poor Pam was so upset. I should tell her that Victor isn't worth it, Reva thought. Or maybe it would be better to let her find out on her own. At the same time, less than ten miles away in the neighboring town of Waynesbridge, Diane paced nervously over the threadbare carpet in Press's dingy apartment. From somewhere down the hall, violin music floated through the thin walls. Diane held her hands over her ears, trying to shut out the whiny sound, trying to think clearly. Finally, with an exasperated sigh, she picked up the receiver of the wall phone in the kitchenette and punched a number with a trembling hand. 
Waiting for an answer, she rubbed the sleeves of her light cotton sweater, wishing Press's landlord would send out more heat. Hello? Danny's voice sounded raspy and clogged, as if he had been sleeping. Danny, we've got a problem, Diane said, speaking rapidly in a low voice that revealed how upset she felt. Huh? Diane, what time is it? Danny asked groggily. She glanced at her watch. It's only 10.15. I was getting my beauty sleep, Danny told her. He cleared his throat loudly. Actually, I got a headache. I was trying to sleep it off. What's up? Your brother messed up, Diane told him, twisting the phone cord around her wrist, leaning against the faded wallpaper. Oh no, what did Press do? What do you mean he messed up? Danny demanded, sounding fully awake now. He messed up, Diane repeated with a sigh. He got himself arrested tonight. Huh? For what? Danny cried, jaywalking, littering. Don't make jokes, Danny, Diane insisted. Your kid brother got into a fight and beat some guy up. Now he's sitting in the detention center. Diane waited for Danny to reply, but the line remained silent. I don't believe this, he said finally, the stupid jerk. I called your parents, Diane continued, winding and unwinding the cord. They refused to bail him out. They refused to do a thing for him. Figures, Danny mumbled. And I can't get him out, Diane said. I don't have a dime. Me either, Danny told her. The violin music grew louder. It seemed to surround Diane. She turned away, stepping into the tiny half-kitchen, trying unsuccessfully to escape from it. What about tomorrow? Danny asked in a low voice. You know, grabbing the girl. I don't know, Diane said, uttering another sigh. It's such a good idea, and now we can use the money more than ever. Danny cleared his throat again. Well, how about we do it without press? You know, just you and me. I guess we could, Diane replied, rubbing her temples. Her hands were cold as ice. I'll hide in the stockroom, just like we planned, Danny offered, and you can drive, you know, pull up to the loading dock, keep the engine running, everything the same. We can do it, Diane. We don't need the stupid jerk. Yeah, okay, I guess. The violin music was driving Diane insane. Let's do it, Danny, and no slip-ups this time. Yeah, right, Danny agreed quickly. No slip-ups. I told you, I got my headache back. I can't put up with any slip-ups, know what I mean? Diane felt a chill run down her back as she hung up the receiver. Danny is so unpredictable, so crazy, she thought, not moving away from the wall. When he loses control, he can be really dangerous. No slip-ups, she thought, no slip-ups. Maybe bringing Danny into this was a mistake, she thought with a shudder. Maybe it was a big mistake. Chapter 15 Diane eased the car over a speed bump and headed slowly around to the back of Dolby's department store. The engine rumbled loudly, making a churning sound that echoed a churning in Diane's stomach. It has to go right this time, she thought, gripping the wheel tightly. It has to. The third time is the charm. But there were so many things that could go wrong. What if the car stalled? What if a security guard saw her parked at a loading dock? What if Riva didn't show up for her stockroom duties? What if Danny lost it? What if something got him angry and he exploded? It wouldn't be the first time, Diane thought with a shudder. She tried to force these questions from her mind, but they kept coming back. Think positive, she kept telling herself. But she was too nervous to think positive. Her hands were cold and clammy on the wheel. Her chin was quivering. Stay cool, Diane. Stay cool. She tried talking herself out of her fear. When she thought of Press, sitting in the detention center downtown, her fear turned to anger. How could he do this to Danny and me, she asked herself butting her lower lip until she tasted blood. How could he leave Danny and me to do all the work? When Press comes out, 
He'll expect his share of the million dollars, Diane thought bitterly. Well, we'll just have to see about that. It was a bleak, gray afternoon. It had snowed the night before, but most of it had melted. A few white clumps dotted the area behind the store. The old Plymouth let out a choked sound, like a cough. Diane eased the car through a wide open gate, and the loading area came into view. Three concrete platforms jutted out from the back of the store. They led to roll-up garage-style doors, all three of which were open. Behind the doors stretched the store's enormous stockroom. A large yellow truck was backed up to the farthest loading platform. A blue uniformed driver was closing up the back. Diane could make out the words, Home Furnishings with Style, in red script across the side. The other two platforms were vacant. Diane searched for security guards, but couldn't see any. Her heart pounding, she pulled the car up to the middle of the platform and shifted into neutral. She leaned across the passenger seat and peered out the window, trying to see into the stockroom. Danny, are you in there? Up ahead, the truck driver slammed his door, startling her. She sat up straight, gripping the wheel, and watched as the big yellow truck slowly pulled away. Good, she thought, a little relieved. Now there's no one else back here, no one to interfere, to mess us up. She glanced at the dashboard clock, then remembered it was broken. A loud shot made her cry out and duck. Her heart seemed to leap up from her chest. She was still trembling all over as she realized the sound had come from the home furnishings truck, backfiring as it pulled away. I've never been so scared in my life, Diane realized. She wiped her wet hands on the legs of her jeans. Danny got the easy job, she thought. She glanced into the rearview mirror, making sure no one was coming up behind her. At least he has something to do. I just have to sit and wait and wait and wait and be nervous. What if somebody comes to use the loading dock? What if a security guard comes? Then what do I do? She pressed her foot down on a gas pedal. The engine rattled, then revved in reply. She lowered her head to peer into the dark stockroom. Was Danny in there? Was Reva there? Was the plan going to work? Hurry, Danny. Please hurry. Diane glanced up again to check the rearview mirror and cried out. A uniformed cop was approaching rapidly, his eyes trained on her car. Chapter 16 Danny leaned against the wooden crate, staying hidden in the deep shadows. He raised his free hand to scratch his hair through the wool ski cap he had pulled down over his face. On his other arm, he had draped the heavy black wool coat he had brought. His plan was to overpower Reva and muffle her cries by throwing the coat over her head. He looked around for the guard, but none was in sight. Lame security, he thought. As he scratched his head through the hot ski cap, his back began to itch. He rubbed it silently against the wooden crate. I always itch when I'm nervous, Danny thought, and I'm plenty nervous now. He had entered the stockroom twenty minutes earlier to find a safe hiding place. Luckily for Danny, a shipment of furniture had just been unloaded. The big crates had been stacked against a wall in the center of the vast stockroom. They gave Danny the perfect place to hide and to watch for Reva. So far so good, he thought, slipping down lower behind the crate as two men walked by, their shoes scraping against the concrete floor. If only this headache would go away. The headache was a dull throb at his temples now. Danny closed his eyes and prayed it wouldn't get more intense. With the headaches came the anger, he knew. The red anger, Danny called it, because he always saw flashes of red when the pain got really bad. The pain made him angry. So angry he sometimes lost control. So angry he seldom remembered what he did. Danny took a deep breath, then another, willing the headache to go away. Reva, where are you? he asked silently, leaning out from behind a tall packing crate. Reva, don't keep me waiting. 
please, don't keep me waiting. I don't know how long I have, until the pain takes over, until the red sweeps over me, takes control of me. Don't keep me waiting, Riva, for your own good. Footsteps. There she is. He braced himself, every muscle in his body tensed. He straightens the wool ski mask peering out through the two eye holes. The throbbing in his temples grew stronger. He raised the heavy black coat, then lowered it. It wasn't Riva. It was a middle-aged woman in a tight-fitting gray business suit. Her spike heels clicked loudly on the concrete as she passed. Danny slumped back against the crate. His breathing was hard now, his breathing escaping in noisy gasps. His head itched. He tried to ignore it. Calm. Be calm. But the throbbing pain in his head grew sharper, spread down over his eyes. He closed his eyes, trying to force away the pain. He could hear voices at one end of the stockroom, someone shouting angrily. Another voice replied, just as angrily, Shut up, shut up, shut up! He could feel the anger now, the throbbing anger, throbbing with the pain. He opened his eyes, tried to focus. But the walls were red, the wooden crates had turned red. The floor shimmered red, bright red, throbbing red. Fight it down. Fight it down, Danny told himself. This had been happening so often to him lately. First the pain, then the red anger. Maybe I should see a doctor, he thought. He pressed his hands against the pulsing. And then, she was there. Riva, wearing a long white sweater over black leggings, carrying a stack of small packages. Yes. Danny squinted through the bright red, saw her clearly. Saw her come near. Nearer. Yes. The pain shot through him. It felt as if someone were tightening a thick rubber band around the top of his head. Tighter. Tighter. Glaring into the red, he crept up behind her. He raised the black wool coat. I've got you now, he thought. Struggling against the pain, against the rage that roared through every muscle. I've got you now, Riva. I hope I don't have to do anything terrible. Chapter 17 Staring into the rearview mirror, Diane watched a grim-faced officer approach. He had his dark blue cap pulled low over his forehead. His hands were in gloves, one resting on the handle of his nightstick, the other swinging at his side. This isn't happening, Diane thought, her throat choked with panic. She forced herself to start breathing again. This can't be happening. Oh, please. Please walk by the car. Keep right on walking. Please. But no. He tapped on her window. Diane reached for the knob and lowered the window halfway, her entire body shaking. Her chin quivered, out of control. She wondered if he could say it. What are you doing here, miss? he asked. His voice was high and thin. It didn't match his heavy body or hard, solemn face at all. Uh, nothing? She couldn't think straight. She could barely speak. She glanced toward the loading dock. What if Danny came running out with a girl right now? They'd both be caught. Why are you parked here? the officer asked, lowering his head to the window his gray-green eyes exploring the front seat of the car. Uh, I'm waiting for someone, Diane managed to choke out. She glanced at the wide doors again. Don't come out, Danny. Don't come out now. I'm sorry, the officer said, frowning. You'll have to move. He'll be out in a minute, Diane insisted in a trembling voice. Really? There's a parking lot over there, he said, pointing a black glove in the direction Diane had come. You'll have to wait there. But, sir... Sorry, his eyes narrowed at her. There's no waiting back here. Move it. Now. Fighting back the waves of pain at his temples, Danny lifted the heavy coat in both hands. The floor shimmered like a pool of water, red then gray, red then gray. Moving quickly, Danny crept up behind her. She stopped suddenly, 
he nearly bumped into her. Swallowing hard, struggling to see through the curtain of red, he pulled the coat down over her head. Her arms shot up. The boxes she'd been carrying fell noisily to the floor. Danny glanced around. No one in sight. She tried to scream, but he wrapped the coat tightly over her face. Her cry came out, a muffled whimper. She twisted and squirmed. He gave her a hard shove forward, wrapping his arm around the coat, holding it tight around her head. Don't fight me, he murmured, surprised at his own fury. Don't fight me. She bent in half, trying to duck out from under the coat. Her arms flailed. She uttered another muffled cry of protest. Stop it, Danny cried out in a loud, angry whisper. He shot his fist into her back. She gasped, startled by the pain. It took her only a few seconds to recover. Then she tried spinning around, twisting out of his grip. The coat started to slip. Danny leaned against her, holding the coat down over her. He drove his free hand hard into her back again. He pushed her toward the open door, shoving with his shoulder, holding on to the coat. She stiffened her legs, tried to push back. Her shoes skidded against the concrete. Stop it! Stop it! Danny cried furiously, feeling himself lose control. You want to get hurt? I'll hurt you! One hard blow knocked the girl unconscious. Then, wrapping the coat tightly over her upper body, Danny held her around the waist and dragged her to the car. Chapter 18 The officer glared at Diane. Did you hear me? Diane stared back at him, frantically thinking. What can I do? she asked herself. I can't leave this spot. If Danny comes out dragging Riva, and I'm not here... My, uh, father is very sick, she stammered. He works here, in the stockroom. I have to take him to the hospital. That's why I stopped back here. He'll be out in one second. If you'll only let me... You can wait over there, young lady, the officer interrupted. I'm getting a little tired of repeating myself. Now, put the car in gear and pull it over to that spot. Don't make me write out a ticket. Diane swallowed hard. Her throat felt as if it were clogged with sand. Sorry, sir. She glanced to the platform. No sign of Danny. Thank goodness. Reluctantly, she started to shift the car into gear. I can't believe this is happening, she thought miserably. I can't believe our plans are being messed up for a third time. A wave of sadness swept over her. Loser. The words flared into her mind. I'm a loser. Press and Danny and I. We're all losers. Slowly, with the police officer still hovering over the car, she began to pull away. A loud crash. The crunch of metal hitting metal, followed by shattering glass, made her stop. Oh no, she cried. At first, Diane thought she had hit something. It took her a second to realize the crash had come from the parking lot. She heard angry voices, shouts, and curses. I've got to go over there, the officer shouted, reaching for his nightstick. You be gone when I get back, hear? Diane stuck her head out the window, watching him run toward the shouting voices. Yes, she cried gleefully. Some luck, some good luck. She finally had some good luck. She jumped when the back door suddenly swung open. Hey, she had been so involved with the police officer, she hadn't watched for Danny. Go, 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 he shouted. She turned to the back seat to see him shove Reva into the car. The heavy coat was draped over Reva's head. She didn't move. What has he done to her? Diane wondered. Danny, did you? Just knocked her out, Danny replied, breathing hard. Danny shoved Reva across the seat and slid in beside her. He kept his arm around her shoulder, holding the coat over her. Go, 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 he repeated, slamming the car door, then leaning close to Reva, pressing her against the seat back in case she came to. I don't believe it. You, you got her, Diane cried. Shut up and drive, Danny raged. Gripping the wheel tightly with both hands, Diane pulled away from the platform. 
The car shot forward as she plunged her foot all the way down on the gas pedal and turned toward the street. Glancing in the rearview mirror, she searched for the policeman. She had a frightening vision of him chasing after them, but there was no one. She pulled onto the street, the threadbare tires squealing, and turned toward the highway that led to Wayne's Bridge. We did it, she cried gleefully. I don't believe it. We did it. Danny grinned at her, still holding the coat tightly over Reva's head. We're going to be millionaires, he exclaimed. Millionaires. Just like in the movies, Diane declared. If only Press could be here, she thought, feeling a twinge of sadness. If only Press could enjoy this too. But soon they would get Press out. Soon Press would be back with them, and they would be rich, richer than they had ever dreamed. Christmas was almost here. What a great Christmas it was going to be. Millionaires. That's what we'll be. Millionaires, Diane thought. So excited she drove through a stop sign. Dobby will gladly fork over a million to get his precious daughter back. We've done it, just like in the movies. And now nothing can go wrong. Nothing. Chapter 19 I think we've made Dobby squirm enough, Diane said, taking the last bite of her peanut butter sandwich. Danny chuckled. He tossed down the old copy of Sports Illustrated he'd been flipping through. Yeah, we've had the girl here a full day, he said, gesturing to the bedroom. I'll bet Dobby's squirmy. I wanted to wait at least twenty-four hours, Diane said, carrying a plate over to the small sink and running cold water over it. Sometimes rich people are so busy making money, they don't know if their family is missing or not. Danny pushed himself up from the chair and stretched, a bulge of white belly showing under his olive-colored pullover. One day is enough. Dobby is probably waiting by the phone, sweating bullets, waiting for our call. I hope so, Diane said, setting the dish beside the sink. She dried her hands on a paper towel. Dobby's daughter is a total pain. Yeah, can you imagine? She won't eat and she won't say a word, Danny said, shaking his head. She better not say a word, Diane exclaimed, shooting him a nervous glance. You tightened the gag, right? Danny nodded. I checked everything. She's tied up, blindfolded, and gagged. The works. Just make sure she doesn't work the gag loose. I don't want a sound coming out of her, Diane said, pulling on her coat. You know how thin the walls are in this dump. Guess we'll be moving into a big fancy house, Danny said, teasing her, with a maid and a butler and a chauffeur. Diane didn't find his remarks amusing. I won't be 18 for another four months, she told him. I've got to keep the money a secret until then, or my parents will try to grab it. Danny tisked. Where are you going? I thought you were going to call Dalby and tell him he can get his daughter back. I am, she replied sharply. But you don't expect me to call from here, do you? They'll trace the call and pick us up in ten minutes flat. Danny turned his glance to the window. Yeah, I knew that. I was just testing you. He picked up the Sports Illustrated. Know what I'm going to do when I get my share? I'm going to get a tattoo. You always had a lot of class, Diane said dryly. She zipped her coat and started to the door. Wonder why we haven't heard from press, Danny muttered, his face buried in the magazine. Shh, no names, Diane said sharply, motioning to the bedroom. I wonder too. She stopped with her hand on the doorknob. Hope he didn't get into more trouble in the detention center. Maybe they found out about that car he stole, Danny said. Huh? Diane turned around in surprise. I never heard about that. Danny blushed. He avoided her stare. Oh, well. He only borrowed it for a little bit. He didn't really steal it. Diane laughed. Well, he could have offered me a ride in it. I'm getting sick of the old Plymouth. You can buy five cars, Danny muttered, after we trade Reva in. Diane glanced toward the bedroom. Just keep an eye on her, Danny. I know you plan to take a nap the minute I leave, but watch her, okay? We don't want any slip-ups now, you know? 
Yeah, okay, okay, he growled, scratching his head. I'll watch her. Go make the call already. I'm getting old sitting here. Diane made her way out the door, closing it carefully behind her. She stepped out into a bright, clear day that felt more like September than December. The ground was spotted with patches of old snow, one of the few signs that it was winter. She bent to pet the head of an old hound dog that always hung around the apartment building. Who do you belong to? she asked it, rubbing its damp fur. Or, do you own this joint? The old dog wagged its tail slowly in reply. Diane climbed into the car. It took three tries to get the engine to grind to a start. Then she headed to the Division Street Mall, where she planned to find a secluded phone booth to make her call. The car radio was broken, but Diane didn't need it. She hummed happily to herself, tapping her hands on the wheel, rehearsing for the thousandth time in her mind what she planned to say to Mr. Dalby. Robert Dalby, Reva's father, shifted uncomfortably in his armchair. He lowered his copy of the Wall Street Journal and stared into the fireplace, watching the flames jump and dance. With a weary sigh, he picked up the newspaper and began to read again. When the phone on the table beside him rang, he let out a startled cry. He fumbled for the receiver, knocking over his small glass of sherry. The liquid formed a brown puddle on the polished tabletop. Ignoring it, Mr. Dalby managed to grab up the receiver on the second ring. Hello? Is this Robert Dalby? A young woman's voice. Yes, speaking. Mr. Dalby, said the young woman, very stern and businesslike. I, uh, I have your daughter. She's okay and everything. I, I called to tell you what you need to do to get her back. It will cost you a million dollars, see? But don't worry. We have your daughter, safe and sound. No, you don't, Robert Dalby replied. My daughter, Reva, is sitting right here with me. Chapter 20 Mr. Dalby stared into the fire as he listened to the gasp on the other end. He could hear voices in the background, the clink of plates and silverware. The caller must be in a restaurant somewhere, he realized. He struggled to recognize the voice. Was it a voice he had heard before? Was it a girl who had worked for him? Who still worked for him? He didn't recognize her. All he could tell was that she was nervous and young. Reva had gotten up from her chair by the fire and stood beside him listening to his conversation. Daddy? Mr. Dalby raised a finger to silence her. Reva placed an arm on the back of her father's chair and leaned close, trying to hear the voice on the other end. Mr. Dalby, would you repeat what you just said? Diane demanded in a trembling voice. She stood in a narrow phone booth at the back of the Donut Hall restaurant at the Division Street Mall. The door to the booth would close only halfway, so she stood with her back to the restaurant. I said that my daughter, Reva, is home with me, Mr. Dalby repeated gruffly. In the cramped phone booth, Diane shuddered. The walls closed in on her. Everything went dark. A heavy feeling of cold dread made her feel as if she were about to faint or scream. Was Dalby telling the truth? Was he trying some kind of stupid trick? Mr. Dalby, don't play games with us, she managed to say in a tight, shrill voice. Whoever you are, listen to me, Robert Dalby shouted. Mr. Dalby, let that girl go, Dalby sputtered into the phone. That girl is not my daughter. You will not get a penny from me. You have kidnapped the wrong girl.